welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. Hello, Jody. How's hey. it going? I'm alive and not unwell. How about yourself, sir? Just about the same, man. Just about the same. Just about the same. Cool. Well, today we're going to be talking about an effect that just happened as I was doing the hello this morning to the podcast. I got a little distortion going on in there, and we are going to talk about using distortion in your mixes. We sure are. It's generally something as both you and I being guitar players, our primary instrument, we tend to think about overdriven or distorted guitars, but it is a useful tool that we can use in all sorts of situations that we will wax poetically about today. You, sir, are correct. Yes. So let's dive right in, shall we? What, uh, besides guitars, because we'll leave that out of the equation, what else do you like to use distortion on? And do you use it frequently or not so frequently or what the case may be? The answer is yes. And the first other instrument that I ever threw distortion on happened to actually be bass. And that came from hanging around with a semi-famous bass player who mm-hmm. pretty much only used distortion in his bass. Yeah. Yeah. And his name was Marcel Jacob. He had some very opinionated opinions, as Swedes often do. <laughs> No. Tell me more. (laughs) And and his whole concept on bass was it had to have distortion. And as a matter of fact, he really didn't do multiple outputs for his bass. It was the one track coming from whatever it was he was recording on, and it had distortion on it. In addition to his theory that doing demos was for pussies. But uh, we'll save that for another podcast. That's another podcast. Right, yeah. (laughs) Other instruments that I've used it on, I've used distortion on keyboard sounds. I've used it on drum sounds. I've used it on vocals. I've used it on horn sounds. I've used distortion pretty much on any given recording I've ever done if I felt it necessary. How about yourself? All of the above. All, All of the, the above. above. Like, yeah. like you mentioned with, with bass there, it's when you're dealing with, with rock or hard rock or metal or anything, it's very, very, very common to use distortion on your bass because it just gives you not only this sort of prerequisite sound, but it can just the way it sits in the mixes, it makes that a little bit more prominent. But sure, I had my phase in the late 90s where I was dipping my toes pretty deeply into like the industrial type of a thing. So uh-huh. I became very familiar with distortion and was basically had a period where it's like, yeah, distortion on everything type of thing. Okay, so but, I think I misheard you. I thought you said you had your face in all of that, but I'm assuming you meant phase. Yes. Okay. Phase. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I got nothing funny to say to that. So I'm just going to okay. continue with the I podcast. Just so, it. Yeah, let's go on. Yeah. Yeah. So with that phase, so I, you know, it, it was that type of sound and you wanted that aggression. Through that sort of experimentation, I suppose, I discovered that even if you're not doing hardcore distorted vocals, mm-hmm. that it can bring out certain qualities. And I found that it can you know, just add energy to performance or give a certain, a little bit of attitude. And then I started, of course, experimenting with with other situations as well. But I think distortion can be one of those things in our productions or our uh, mixing endeavors where it's easier to overlook because we think of it primarily as like a super distorted type of thing, but Mm -hmm. in guitars, but it, it is a very useful tool. 
Yes, it is. And one other instrumentation thing that I didn't mention that I've used distortion on also is string sounds for orchestrations mm, yeah. as yeah. well. In that sense, I'm not going for the full-on like nine-inch nails distortion or bit crushing of that kind of nature, but just adding a sense of subtle harmonics is right. generally what I'm doing when I use instruments that aren't known for distortion. You throw a little kind of heat I guess would be a better way of saying it rather than so much distortion, but heat, which is a form of distortion. And yeah. you add in some additional harmonics and a little sense of compression when you're mm -hmm. adding that kind of stuff, which is not quite yep. the same thing. No, I suppose we should mention that we're talking about, or at least I'm thinking about the entire gamut here of just adding right. some subtle harmonics to full-blown, like, slaughtering animals kind of distortion. You know? <laughs> so um, I've never thought of slaughtering animals with distortion, but I can see that from you. Well, that's going to come off really, really bad. I hope we don't use that for the ad for this episode. <laughs> right. uh, but it, it, it's an old uh, Swedish expression what we used to use where we're talking about super overdriven guitars. We used to call it, sounds like you're slaughtering camels, you know, meaning that it's just a massive racket and noise. And so th that's where that, that kind of expression comes from. Sure. No, but, I get it in that sense. And it's just kind of funny to hear it as slaughtering animals, but it's a the one thing that I could think of in terms of like a takeaway from a line in a movie, and this is a movie that probably is divisive in terms of whether you like it or hate it or love it or hate it, and it's the movie Rockstar starring Mark mm. Wahlberg. And there's a yeah. scene in there where the band Steel Dragon is recording, I guess, their next album, and the bass player played by Jeff Pilson is in there recording his bass line, and the lead singer, guitar player dude, well, he's not the lead singer, but he's the lead guitar player dude, and he's talking in the talkback going, can you make it sound more brutal? And then the bass player, Jeff, is like, well, it sounds pretty brutal in here, and, he's and then the guitar player turns back to the mix engineer and says, can we EQ it or something? Give it a little bollocks. <laughs> so that... <laughs> That's kind of where I'm thinking. It's not quite so far into the realm of slaughtering, but that that seems like that would work. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Good. Yeah. So anything from like adding subtle harmonics to just add a little bit of energy. And one of the things that I started using with this was vocals beyond when I come out on the other end of distorting the drums and everything. But vocals, I found that it was a very useful thing to add a little bit of attitude. Well, if it's appropriate for the song, obviously, but, mm -hmm. but it is a cool thing to add some subtle harmonics to that. And one plugin I used to use stuff a lot, it changed a little bit over the years, but the first one I got was Clip Distortion, mm. which is a Logic plugin. Yes. And I liked how you could, you know, have it affect a certain part of the frequency spectrum there and uh, blending in that subtly in parallel can be. It's a cool thing to add a little energy. I had different presets for different vocalists that I might have used with. It was like, okay, right. here's my Jody Attitudeizer. Hey, <laughs> um, that's kind of exciting. I didn't know I had my own preset in your functionality of library. Well, you used stuff. to anyway. Oh, yeah. not anymore, huh? Uh, it's oh, not really bummer. needed anymore. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so was uh, that to help my vocals sit better in any mix that you were doing that had me in it? <laughs> I think in your case, it was... Just to hide the fact that I suck as a singer. <laughs> oh, now don't be like that. No, you're a <laughs> fine singer, kidding. Jody. No, it, it, to, at that point, it would have been more for the attitude type of thing. And I was stuck right. in my workflow there as well to do that. But I have as recently as, you know, I think it was a couple Yesterday. of weeks ago. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was working on a mix for somebody. 
and had a little trouble getting a percussion line mm. to kind of pop a little bit. Yes. And I ended up using Decapitator from Sound mm-hmm. Toys, just adding a little bit of heat on that percussion part, and it was just what it needed. It just kind of had a, helped it sit a lot better in the mix, and it was a lot more prominent without having to go nuts with compression or even just like level to bring it up where it might have been at inappropriate level. Sure. Uh, and that's a, that's another reason to actually add a little bit of distortion is to give a particular instrument, maybe it even at just a particular time. Yeah. A little bit of help, to, as you say, to sit in the mix. And in addition to that, maybe possibly sound a little more prominent. And I think that's a combination of adding all those harmonics that depending on how much distortion you throw at it. And in addition to that, distortion is like a natural compression as well, sort of like using tape, how tape has a natural compression function to it. Both of those things combined in that one effect, and depending on how hard you push it and drive it, can be how much you're going to get those harmonics and that amount of compression to the sound. And something that can be, you know, worth pointing out as well is like, you know, we're often talking about not EQing or compressing in solo mode. The same obviously goes for this, where you could probably get away with a lot more of this than you think to get it sit and properly in the mix. But when you solo it, it's like, oh man, that, that's a lot of crunch added there. But yes. in the full, the full spectrum of the mix, it's not bad. It's just that's kind of what it needs to have its own space, I suppose. Yeah. Yes, sir. So when we're talking about this and adding this, there's a couple of ways that we can do this, obviously. Do you generally have a method that you like to use? Do you use it like in parallel? Do you put it on the actual channel strip or how, how do you generally do that? Get ready to raise a glass because I'm going to say, ding, 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 it is program dependent. It is program dependent. That's the best yeah. way for me to put it. And sometimes I will do it directly on the channel strip. Other times I want it to be a subtle effect that maybe gets panned off to a side or gets some kind of spatial thing added to it. And it's more like a background thing. So that's going to end up being on a bus and be done in parallel. Mm-hmm. Those are generally the two ways I do it. What yeah, about you? Exactly Is that. there a third way that you do it that I don't know about? There, well, I think you might know about this, but what I'm going to say again is, is a little bit of a third. It is a parallel thing, but this is something I do quite frequently on, on bass, mm-hmm. as we, we talked about before, where I will not do it on the entire signal. Well, I would kind of filter off a lot of times, maybe as high as like up to 200 Oh. And then just add distortion on everything beyond that. So right. you, I still get that sort of clarity of, of the low end because in my experience, it can just add a lot of mud if we're too aggressive with distortion down there. And yep. it just makes the bass kind of just go away. But when you have everything of the, the mids or maybe even upper mids get a little bit of distortion, it can just help that bass sit a little bit better and be more prominent in the mix. And, you know, I honestly believe that that is why Marcel Jacob used distortion on his bass yeah. straight out of the box and right into how he was recording it. Right. That was his sound. I mean, that's how he did it. Yeah, no, it's, I, I was, you know, watching a clip with Chris Baseford, I think, if I remember his name correctly, I should. That's almost embarrassing. The mix engineer yeah, guy that did the Nickelback stuff recently. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's done a few of them, and he breaks down a Nickelback mix that he did, and the bass is just freaking huge. Right. And he goes through how he had several buses on his uh, his bass, mm-hmm. and how he kind of treated them, and, and different 
frequencies would go through different things. But it sounded, I mean, it sounds amazing. You may or may not be a big fan of the band, but that last album that they put out, Feed the Machine, I think it's called. I mean, mm-hmm. sonically, it's brilliant, you know, so. And that bass in that song for that clip that you're referring to is actually brutal. Slaughtering it, right? animals. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it is, right? But yeah. it, it, again, it was one of those things where I think. But he was splitting the signal. He was splitting the signal. So that he wasn't affecting distortion on the low, low end. On the upper, upper end, he's treating it through a guitar amp Correct. instead of a bass amp. Yeah. So, yes. And so, that's another thing to think about when you're using distortion in a mix we should think about this on the technique of whether you're going on the track yourself or the parallel processing and doing it with the full signal or on specific frequencies. If you don't want the distortion to kill the entire signal, but you plan on like really bringing the heat or the distortion or the slaughtering or the brutality to a specific frequency, you have to then use some high and low pass filters to kind of control the sound of where you're splitting it and how you're going to add that distortion. Yeah, You can go with something that seems totally unconventional in order to get to the sound that you want. Like, well, the horn sound, I'm probably going to leave the lower end alone, and I'm going to treat the upper end and throw it through a guitar amp and throw some distortion on it, which is what I've done in the past. And I've even done that with string settings, too. Split the strings so that your bass strings and your lower cellos are not going through any kind of distortion, but your violas on the upper end and your violins on the upper end are also treating them with some distortion just to give some harmonic excitement going on in there. Yeah. But, but that's yeah. done by using, you know, high and low pass filters to split the frequency and then you're going into multiple buses and then you mix it all back together again and make it sound yeah. cohesive as if it was one thing done meant to be done that way. The the string thing uh, I've done also, but that has been not necessarily in a, a classical sort of score kind of environment. It would be if it's, you know, a hybrid track or something where it's a very dense mix where you just kind of want those. They don't necessarily want to be super pretty, you right. know, but you add a little bit of subtle overdrive or something and just bring out that could, perhaps the, the sound of the bow will sound a little bit more aggressive or something to just kind of help them poke out a little bit. Add again, that attitude and the sound just like we're you know, right. And, and, you know, when you're talking about treating drums with this kind of stuff, you can do the same sort of thing with cymbals or even just like a snare and not necessarily a kick or some part of the tom in terms of the attack sound. You can distort that portion of it and really bring out the attack if you want the attack to really kind of jump at you kind of thing. Yeah. Give that some serious bite. Or if you add it to if you're miking the underside of your snare and you really want the snares to really like grrr, roar like a lion, I guess. It'd be well, I don't know how to do it. Like, <laughs> uh, it's a very animalistic to it, theme right? today. Yes, yeah. very much so. That's how I would think of it. You just figure out the point in whatever instrument that it is that you're working on, where you want that distortion to happen. And if yeah. your instrument is covering a wider range than that, then you have to figure out a way to dive down into the signal using some filters to get to that point and then mix it all back together at the end. And of course, that can be done with just sends in your DAW yes. and you set up a filter before that or on the ones that you're sending it to. But also there are plugins like, uh, for example, the pedal board in Logic mm-hmm. where you there is a splitter in there and you can separate that by just splitting the direct signal or you can do it by frequency as well. So you can place it wherever you want it in uh, 
in the chain there. Yeah. But, but um, when it comes to all of this, I think, like you said, that we want to think about what it is that we're trying to do because there are a lot of really interesting sound design elements that we can do where we can just completely destroy a sound. Maybe it's a drum loop or something that we're just throwing heavy doses of distortion on and it can have a certain feel and then you can take that processing further. It's a very useful sort of sound design tool as well. Also, the techniques that you're describing there, just using it on certain frequencies can be perhaps better suited when you're just wanting to bring out certain elements into the mix mm -hmm. and you, you're not, you don't necessarily want to color the entire signal, which... I have been known to do in the past. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Oh, I do say, yeah. There's no such thing as too much distortion and too much compression, right? So. Right. Understood. With that, let's take a moment to get a word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. Now I'd like to find out what are your favorite tools for creating said distortion? Chris? Well, right, right now, I am really, really in love with Decapitator mm -hmm. from Sound Toys. A lot of people uh, are in love with that plugin. It's a great plugin. I got it this year, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of tools that helps you get that sound. And I've found that with that, you can go full on with it, right? You can completely destroy sounds, but it's also very, very good at just adding those subtleties that were talked about and tone sculpting things. So th that's my first one kind of go-to at this moment. Right. There are other ones there that I really like. It's a free one actually from SoftTube. It's called Saturation Knob. Okay. Where you can, it's basically one knob. It's like more so or less distortion. it's sort of like the Waves one knob thing because they have something similar too. I'm sure they do. But it also has, with that plugin, you can choose to preserve the, the highs or the lows. Uh -huh. So if you have that where, let's say that you're throwing it on that bass guitar, right, or maybe a, a bass synth patch, you might want to choose to preserve the lows a little bit. So it doesn't right. affect that as much. So that's two that I really like. What about you? Okay. Well... I think the first one that I would jump on would be the FabFilter Saturn. Mm, yeah, Because yeah, that's yeah. got a wide range on how that can do distortion. And it doesn't necessarily get too crazy with distortion. So that's the nice thing about it is it, it's in a mid-range of not getting super crazy, but you can go from really nice and subtle to some really rich harmonics in it. At least I've never pushed it to an extreme to because usually if I'm going to something extreme, I'm going to go for something much further down the road than Saturn. Right. Another one that I really dig is the Big Clipper, which is by Boz Digital Labs. Mm, and that right. one is different in that it has the ability to split the signal so you know where you're going to add your distortion. And then it's got an input gain and an output gain, so you can really push the input, or you can leave the input a little bit less push and really push the output. Mm. And then you can choose the frequencies where you want the distortion and how you want them distort. So it's actually pretty in-depth with what it can do with distorting. It's pretty wild, and it's not overly, like, break-the-bank expensive. Right. And another one that I should remember, when you bring up all that functionality, one plugin mm. that is insane, insanely deep is uh, Trash. Right. From Isotope. Yeah. Mm, trash too. I mean, yeah, you want to talk about flexibility? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that's it, because it's beyond just being a distortion unit. It has uh, convolution in it. It has yep. the ability to be a compressor, EQ, 
and multiple distortions at the same time. And some of those distortions can be ridiculously crazy. And that is definitely a go-to plugin for me as well. Yeah. I use it a lot. You know, we're both logic users here. And I mentioned before the bit, or I'm sorry, the clip gain. Yeah. But another one is Bit Crusher. I would have mentioned yours would have been, your favorite would have been Bit Crusher by far and away. (laughs) Yeah. Well, these days it's probably out of those two, it's the one that gets used the most. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I I found with that is whenever you're reducing the bit rate, obviously you you tend to get a certain aliasing and and lots of noise and things. A good trick to use that if you find that you get this sort of nasty high end with it Mm-hmm. is to just basically put a low pass filter. high cut filter yeah low pass or high cut filter after it and you know go down to well as far as you have to but if you go down to like 9 or 8k it can take a lot of that off but you still get the the cool effect of that sure and i don't know if it, it here's a, just a question for you and i'm not sure if it's just me but mm. when you're doing sort of like the down sampling in the bit crusher yeah I've noticed that odd values tend to sound better to me. Is that something that you've paid attention to me? I haven't, but now that you've mentioned it, I'm going to probably go neurotic with it and try that out. Yeah, you should try it out. (laughs) It's interesting. And maybe it's just me, but I found that, okay, yeah, three is better than two and four, and five is better than Maybe it's an odd value to the harmonics and the way it it distorts That's probably what it is, yeah. Yeah. But it it seems like, oh, it, it seems to get the most musical results for me anyway. Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm surprised that you're not mentioning stutter edit because that's a different way to add distortion by cutting yeah. up and clipping the sounds and running them in really short functionality. That's a way to get distortion in a very strange way. Yeah. I, I don't think of it in that category really because mm. I think when I think of, of stutter edit, I think mostly out of the rhythmic elements sure. from it, right? Yeah. So it, it, if I were to use it, that that's primarily how I would do it and use you know all the functionality of it. But it wouldn't be my first go-to when it no, comes to no, it. it's something just know. that would be outside. That would be thinking way outside the box and using it. But it could be yeah. Different. If you want something, yeah, that's for me. That's firmly planted in the sort of soundscaping or, or, you know, sound design type of thing when you add right. um, some special effects. But of course, we can also go into a little bit more of a subtle effect when we're talking about all the tape emulations that we can use. Well, they like can you, be subtle, but they can also be extreme too, depending on how hard you drive them. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, if I'm talking super extreme, one of the plugins that are items that I would use and I would more or less use it in parallel because putting it directly on the track, which I have done, you don't get nearly as much control. But that's using UA's rat pedal. They have mm. a emulation of the rat distortion pedal. Yeah. And throwing that down on a sound is going into the realm of I'm slaughtering animals with this thing. <laughs> There's yeah. no question about it. And even in like, if you're looking at built-in stuff from your DAW and specifically with Logic, the Candy Crusher is yes, massive right. distortion, which is yeah. kind of crazy when you think about it. Cause it's like candy seems like it would be a sweet distortion, but no, that and one it's nice is and pink beyond and it's, brutal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's all pink and stuff. It's funny. Yeah. But yeah, so so tape, you know, obviously, like you said, you can drive it harder to to get more effect. But again, used for 
that subtlety of almost like a compressor would just mm-hmm. tame just the, the peaks a little bit is another great tool that we have for that. Right. So when it comes down to all of these toys and using them, what, what's your, you know, you mentioned bass off of the top. Yep. If you were going to use this technique, is that primarily your, your first situation where you might use it? Or yes. do you have any other? Yeah, There's no even answer, but it's the first thing I'm going to throw it on outside of a guitar is bass. There's no question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use it on vocals? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And what, what kind of situation would you do that on? Generally, a lot more often, it's going to be on the background vocals, or it's going to be on some sort of effect that's running in parallel to the lead. And Interesting. That, yeah, and it comes down more to as being program dependent mm-hmm. as to what the song is like bitching at me that it needs. Right. Like, Dude, you really need to make this happen like this, and this needs to be distortion on that kind of thing. And so w- when you're listening for those things, what are those issues that you might hear and why you make the decision to use distortion or, or subtle overdrive or whatever happens to be more often than not if i'm doing it on a vocal it's going to be in parallel and it's going to be a lot more extreme than something subtle mm-hmm. especially with heavier songs sure not so much in like a country or an americana realm i'm probably not touching distortion on vocals for that kind of thing <laughs> but certainly right. in the rock and the hard rock and the industrial and just the heavier stuff there's going to be distortion somewhere in the mix on a vocal, be it the background, be it parallel to the lead, depending on what is happening to the vocal. I can recall one specific song where it was like a rap hard rock tune. Mm-hmm. And the lead vocal felt like it really needed this bizarre value to it, in addition to the clean, super compressed upfront lead that it is. And I opted to run it through the vocal synth too. And then I split that into a left and right. And on the right hand side, I did one distortion. And on the left hand side, I did a second distortion. And that happens at post effects. So it really brings it out. But then I brought it down way behind the vocal. So it becomes this thing that happens that until you either are made aware of it or you're listening in some situation where it kind of gets enhanced based on the speakers you're using to listen, Mm. it sticks out. And then you notice it and you're like, oh, dude, you're like trying to dig your ear into the hole to try and figure out how much further can (laughs) I get in there so I can actually hear that distortion (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing. So it becomes more like the ear candy effect on a vocal rather than just being the thing that I do. Now, I do recall one song where it was the bridge and on the bridge i did a sweeping thing where it started clean but as it tapered into the end of the vocal at the end of the bridge section i had the same thing running concurrently on two tracks one was the clean lead the other one was with distortion and it started out full clean and by the end of it it's full distortion and part right, of that yeah. had to do more with the vocal getting really, really intense to the point where it was screaming. But I wanted that screaming to really get to the point where it was like screeching, screaming. Right. And it yeah, worked I've out used really that well. technique as well. It, yeah. it, it's pretty cool because you get that sort of, if you do it right, it's that seamless, just yeah, adding it's just more and more aggression. Thing where it's, yeah. yeah, where you, it's just shifting from one sound to the other as you fade one out and bring another in. And the big yeah. trick to that when you're doing that, especially with distortion, is making sure you get the volume ride correct. Because yeah. if you just do it like really quick, it's going to be obvious. 
And if you don't want it to be so obvious, you have to be very careful with how quickly you bring in the distortion version of it. And another thing to be aware of there, if you're using, not necessarily in parallel, but in the plugin itself, if there's a mix control. Right. Right. If you start bringing up just from zero, bringing up the mix to go into full wet, you will, of course, by the very nature of distortion, you will get a louder signal because yes. you're gaining it. So you have to be careful with the, the volume rides there as Which well. Which is and really why I don't do it through the mix knob like that. I tend to put it on two channels and allow the volume ride via the channel strip to make it easier because then you can yeah. automate that process and automate it easier and you can figure out the volume level is much easier that way, I think. Yeah, you're right, because you're, you're basically just dealing with two values, mm -hmm. the, the, the level of the direct track, clean and the track, level of and the completely then the distorted distortion. Track. Yeah. Right, so, and how you write those as opposed to yeah, everything else, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Besides vocal, let's see, we've, we've talked about percussion, how we can use it there. Keyboards, of course, mm -hmm. can do wonders. Just if a little bit of overdrive can add a whole bunch. I think another plugin that gets not the credit it deserves, I think, is the overdrive plugin in in Logic. Sure. That is another really, really nice one. You know, any amp simulation plugin that does amp heads and or has pedals for yeah. effects, uh -huh. you can use any one of those. Absolutely. Any plethora of types of distortion sound. So it's not limited to plugins that are generally thought of just as distortion plugins, which is why I mentioned stutter edit. Is like if you go really high on the rhythmic values of it, it's that's distortion the way it works. Yeah. In my mind. I know it's yeah. rhythmic, but it just it gets so point where it's just like and it's like grating. It's like you're running something through a cheese grater essentially. <laughs> and that's <laughs> yeah. kind of distorting it. So Yeah. I like distortion as if you didn't know. But um, I do it know, is something okay. that I, I find, yeah, right? I find myself using a little bit more in my mixes these days when appropriate, of course. Sure. And it's these days, it, it's more to enhance something that is there as opposed to just wanting to have loads and loads of distortion on it. Right. Do you ever, before we, I think we start wrapping this up here, but do you ever use that functionality where if you have an 1176 and bypass the, the compression circuit on that and just use it as essentially a tone shaper, if you will? Is that something you have any experience with? Or? I've probably done it three times, less than the count of a full hand. Yeah. I haven't done it very often. Usually if I'm throwing the 1176 down, I'm going for its color anyway. But using its compression circuit along with it. Yeah. And I, I have times where I will dial the bejesus out of the input, but bring the output of it way down. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing, but it's still adding the compression, the limiting in there when I do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, it is an interesting, um, you know, technique and a different way to use an 1176, but I'm with you in the sense that I think it, there are better tools suited for that job. It's yes. an interesting color to have in your palette, but me as well, it's not something I reach for a whole lot, but, it, but I know it can be done. I think I've experimented with it less than a handful of times. You know, yeah, so. yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up a little bit here. We're going to say Friday Finds. Chris, what do you got for us this week? I stumbled upon something on Netflix. Uh -oh. and it is. How a, do you stumble on Netflix? Because the Netflix algorithm is kind enough to suggest 
stuff to me that you might like this. Uh-huh. And it is a documentary of sorts called Count Me In. And it's about all of these drummers where they talk about what inspired them and what made them get into their instrument of choice and all this kind of stuff. And I found it really, really cool. And it actually includes um, one person that we mentioned here before, Emily Dolan Davis. Yes, a a British drummer who right now would mention her on social media. But she has a great account there where she does all these, these tips and things. But she's also the drummer for... Kim Wilde and does all these sessions in the UK. But but she was in this, so I thought, hey, that's kind of cool. But it, it was an interesting little documentary, as it were. All, all of right. these drummers are talking about what got them started. What about you? Drum what do you on. got for us? I am looking at something called Samp Lab. Mm-hmm. And Samp Lab is a new VST AU plugin that is going after the jugular of Melodyne DNA. Wow. And it's probably a little early in the game to say that they're really going after the jugular, but they are going after that concept of doing audio, pulling it into the plugin, and being able to manipulate the individual notes within the audio, much like Melodyne DNA does. Mm. The beauty about Samp Lab right now is it's free. Wow. It's free. How can you not try something that's free? The problem with it, and this is something that I don't know how they're going to get over, and I'm assuming they've got some sort of roadmap that they will get over it, is that the samples right now are super short. And in addition to that, you have to have an internet connection with the plugin because the plugin sends it to Samp Labs servers to actually do the processing. Okay, so this is not real-time stuff. It is. Well, no. I don't believe it's real-time because you're sending it somewhere and then it's being corrected based on what you're telling it to correct and then it's sending it back. That's Mm. the only downside to it that I can see at the moment other than it being free is like, hey, great to try out short samples offloaded onto a server that requires an internet connection in order to actually make use of corrections. Hmm. So that's probably why they're doing such short samples because it's like they don't want to spend 20 minutes uploading a sound, tweaking it, and then sending it back to you sure. for free. Right. <laughs> kind yeah. of thing because that could <laughs> probably be pricey. So yeah. anyway, that's where I will wrap that up. While we've got your attention, go to our website and leave us a review at insidetherecordingstudio.com forward slash review or go just to insidetherecordingstudio.com. Sign up for the mailing list. You'll get weekly reminders about our Tuesday tips that come out every Tuesday on YouTube. And we'll make sure you don't miss any of our actual podcast episodes. Plus, the bonus is you get some free plug-in presets from Chris and I for various things with Slate Plugin, Digital, and Universal Audio stuff. And you're automatically entered to any giveaway that we might be doing in the future. Plus, if you send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word distortion, you'll get something cool back in your inbox. And if you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, reach out on the contact page at the website and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I will say, see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. 